Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss a free Palestine, the history of the region, and who are the Palestinians. Let's get started. The term Israel and Palestine has become sort of a heated topic, and as a hope for trying to clarify the exact words and the meanings behind these words, we're going to have to look into the history. In the beginning of this episode, we're going to talk about the term Palestinian and what it actually means and where it comes from. In order to do that, we need to go back to around the year 1000 before the Common Era, and we talk about the Israelite kingdom. Many of these stories are found in the Bible, but we're going to kind of ignore the Bible for now and just talk about the history behind it. The area of the Israelite kingdom from archaeological sites encompasses a great deal of modern-day Israel and the Transjordan. The kingdom of Israel was run by King Saul, and then after that, the Davidic house under David and Solomon. There are many archaeological artifacts that show the existence of the Davidic line and the biblical stories. I don't think there's any doubt by any historian, archaeologist, or even peoples in the area that would suggest that the Israelite kingdom didn't exist. This is simply a matter of fact. What archaeology can also tell us is that the Israelites had a neighbor named the Philistines who were on the coast and probably came from somewhere in the Greek islands. This was a thorn in the side of the Israelites throughout the Bible, and we'll actually get into the idea of the Philistines a little later. Eventually, this united kingdom of Israel split into two, and we had a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. As the Assyrian Empire, located around Iraq, Iran, began to grow and become more powerful in the region, they started to flex their collective muscle and eventually started to threaten the northern kingdom of Israel. After a long battle around the year 722 BCE, the northern kingdom was destroyed and the inhabitants were spread amongst the Assyrian Empire. It was typically the policy of the Assyrians to move people from their regions to ensure they are less comfortable and less able to revolt against the kingdom. The Assyrians attempted to also take over the southern tribe of Judah, but unfortunately for them, they were not successful. It wasn't until the rise of the Babylonian Empire that Judah would be destroyed. The Babylonians destroyed the Jerusalem temple and removed the elites and sent them to Babylon for exile. Many Jews remained in Judah, but unfortunately, since there was no temple and it was under control of the Babylonians, the center of Judaism moved to the Babylonian exile. At this point, unfortunately, the Israelite kingdom and the Jews were scattered amongst the Middle East, as well as no longer in control of their own land, even though the population of the Israelites remained within the Israelite borders. As empires tend to fall over time, the rise of the Persian Empire saw to the end of the Babylonian Empire. The king Cyrus the Great came to power and allowed Jews to return and build their temple. He had a policy of allowing the local people to return to where they came from and reestablish their religion in hopes to win favor and keep the local populations from revolting against the Persian power. The kingdom of Judah is restored under the Persian Empire. While still technically a province under the Persians, the Israelites in the area of Yehud Medinata were self-governing and even issued their own Yehud coinage, inscribed with the three letters Yud, He, Dalid. We see here the Jews attempting to rebuild their former Israelite state under the permission of the Persian Empire. Unfortunately for the Israelite people, after the end of the Persian Empire, Alexander the Great of Macedonia comes in. The Greeks take over, and after Alexander's death, Yehud, 
or Judah, falls under the Ptolemy and Seleucid Greeks. Two warring Greek generals fighting from the north in Syria and from the south in Egypt, the connection stuck in the middle was the land of Judah. Under the foot of the Greeks trying to force Greek culture on the small province of Judah, the Judeans revolt under the Maccabees, a priestly family trying to restore Israel's autonomy and self-governance, removing the Greek culture from their land. With some success, the Maccabean revolt saw a Judea that was semi-autonomous under the Seleucid Empire. That was until the Romans took over for the Greeks. The Romans take over and rename the province Judea after the original Yehud. Revolts happen where the Israelites are fighting back for their own self-governance. The temple is eventually destroyed by the Romans, and in 133, Emperor Hadrian renames Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews, Aelia Capitolina, and constructed a temple to Jupiter on the site where the former Jewish temple once stood. This was trying to spit in the eye of the Israelites, who had tried to fight back. Jews were banned from Jerusalem, or Aelia Capitolina, and Roman Judea was renamed Syria Palestina, from which derived the word Palestine in English. This was an attempt to really rub salt in the wound of the Jews who were now banned from their holiest sites, and their country renamed after their great enemy, the Philistines. This would be the first mention of a Palestine or Palestina in history. As the Roman Empire falls like many before, the Byzantines and the Muslims fight over during the Crusades the area that is now known as Palestine. The Jewish presence in Palestine had never stopped. There were still Jews who were being harmed during the Crusades by both sides. We see an influx of Christian and Muslim populations entering the province when their people were in power. As the Crusades come to an end and there's a somewhat of a stalemate between the Muslims and the Christians, the rise of the Ottoman Empire in 1516 takes over the region of Palestine and create their own province within the Ottoman Empire. Thirty Jewish communities existed at this time in Haifa, Shechem, Hebron, Ramla, Gaza, and Jerusalem, as well as many other cities. Safed, or Tzfat, became a spiritual center for Jews, as well as many Kabbalistic texts were written here. In addition to the already existing Jewish populations in the lands the Ottoman conquered, many more Jews were given refuge after the expulsion of Jews from Spain. Many Sephardic Jews chose to enter the land of Palestine back to their homeland. Although the status of the Jews in the Ottoman Empire may have been exaggerated, it is undeniable that some tolerance was enjoyed. Jewish populations grew as people came back to their homeland after many years of exile. Unfortunately, this mostly stopped during the British Mandate. Following World War I, the Ottoman Empire collapses after choosing to be on the side of the Germans. The British take control of the land of Palestine and rename it the British Mandate of Palestine, keeping the name originally put on by the Roman colonizers. They tried to manage a growing Arab and Jewish conflict. Arab threats of violence led the British to restricting Jewish immigration to Palestine. British politicians and leadership, along with Jewish diaspora organizations, attempted to re-establish a Jewish state. However, it wasn't until after World War II, with the mass murder of the Jews and the loss of property, that the Jews had nowhere else to go and chose to try to get to British Mandate for Palestine. They joined local communities who had been there for generations and welcomed them and helped their transition. The Haganah, or Jewish Defense Forces, helped protect Jews from Arab attacks and support the Jews as they transitioned to their new life in Palestine. During World War II, we saw some Palestinian Jewish fighters who applied to be part of the British Army and fight the Nazis. Jewish units fought with the Allies in Greece in 1941, and over 100 Palestinian Jews were killed and 1,700 captured by the Germans. 
1942, the British army actually formed a Palestinian regiment made out of three Jewish and one Arab battalions. In the 1940s, as World War II ended, the British began pulling out of all of their colonies around the world, creating new borders and countries and transferring some of their responsibilities to the newly formed United Nations. The British grants the state of Transjordan independence as an independent Arab state. The UN partition plan for Palestine gave both Jews and Arabs an area for a future state. The Jews of Palestine immediately accepted the partition plan and the boundaries that the UN decided and declared the first independent Jewish state since the Israelite kingdom in over 2,000 years. The Arab nations, rather than accepting the state for those Arabs living within the mandate of Palestine, the locals waited hopefully for the Arab nations to destroy the Jewish state and reestablish an Arab state on the whole entire land. Although somewhat complex, and I hope not too dry, this was sort of the brief history of the area of Palestine and Israel. When we come back after this break, we're going to talk about colonization and indigenous cultures. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Before the break, we looked into the region of Israel or Palestine and looked at the history of the name and the meaning behind it. We see various empires coming and trying to conquer the area, but allowing self-governance to some degree and the name Judah or Yehud to stay to represent the original inhabitants. That is until the Romans come to town and the Jews revolt against them. And as an act of defiance against the Jews, they rename their capital city of Jerusalem or their country itself to Syria, Palestina as an insult, along with replacing their temple with a temple to Jupiter, the god of Rome. If we look into the idea of colonization, as many people use it today, we could see very clearly the attempt to colonize the land of Judea by various empires, especially the Romans who decided to rename and reestablish their own dominance in the area. We can see the Roman Caesars installing their own puppet governors and puppet kings in order to enforce Roman rule and religion and put down any possible revolts against the Roman Empire. The colonization, of course, continued as we see further empires coming in and installing their own beliefs and their own rules over the Jewish people. We see the Ottoman Empire rise and treat Jews in different ways, including inviting them back to their original homeland in the land of Israel, still a province under the Ottoman Empire. We see flourishing of the Kabbalistic thinking in Tzvat, and we see the reestablishment of Jewish lands within the region. It wasn't until the British came where the land of Palestine became an official mandate or colony of the British Empire, where rules were imposed and laws were put in place to restrict Jewish people from returning to their homeland, essentially forbidding or minimizing the return by the indigenous peoples to their land. Of course, at the same time, we do see an influx of Muslims and Arabs coming into the land from the Ottoman Empire, which then causes the conflict that arises under the British. Today, there is a very big push on indigenous rights, whether it is in North America or Australia or other places in the world. The UN has really put a big effort on trying to return indigenous rights. So in the history of the Palestinian area or the state of Israel today, we wonder who is really the indigenous people to the land. Why is it for some reason that the UN and the left and many other people don't feel that the Israelites have a claim or the Jewish people have a claim to the land of Israel and that, in fact, the Palestinians belong to the land? And there's an interesting reason behind that. We've already seen that the Israelites predate those of the Palestinians of today, the people who believe themselves to be Palestinians, according to the 1950s PLO or Palestinian Liberation Organization. 
Some people, of course, may suggest that, yeah, the Israelites were originally people from this area, but they left. They were gone. They went to Europe. They went to North Africa. So the land is no longer theirs. However, that is ignoring the fact that Jews have always had a presence within the land. And whenever they left, it was due to expulsion or exile by a colonial power. So how has history somehow been rewritten to suggest that the Israelites are not an indigenous people and that in reality, somehow the Palestinians were there first? And the answer to that is right in the question itself, the name Palestine. The fact that the Palestinian people have now taken on the name Palestinians suggests that they were the original people from the land of Palestine. However, this is rewriting history. The land of Palestine was a Jewish region, and only until the Crusades and the Ottoman Empire did we see an influx of non-Jewish residents, in addition to the Jewish residents who always remained. If you look at photos or records from Palestine during the British Mandate, you'll see for the most part it's Jewish people and Israeli flags with a Star of David representing the Eretz Israel. Of course, this is not to suggest that the Palestinians of today don't have some claim to the land. However, this claim comes far after the Israelites and the Judeans lived in the land for many years. Personally, I don't mind the idea to suggest that Palestinians do have some claim to the land based on the history that they have there. However, I'm really frustrated hearing the left and the UN and people who are all about indigenous rights trying to rewrite history and remove the indigenous nature of the Israelites to their land. Or worse, somehow suggesting that the clock only starts on indigenous rights at a certain point that they choose. How do we pick an arbitrary day to start the clock? Imagine if indigenous rights people decided that the First Nations of North America are not indigenous to the land because actually the clock begins when the colonial power showed up. That's who owns the land from now on. Those are the indigenous people. That really is essentially what's happening today in the land of Israel. Instead of calling it colonizing, like some people do, we Jews should be calling it decolonizing. We are trying to go back to Judea or Yehud, where we had control and self-governance over our own piece of land and no longer are subservient to foreign powers who try and control us. If we think about it, we went from the Israelite independent kingdom through province after province of colonizers until we reached the 1940s when the Israelite kingdom or Israelite state was reestablished. Essentially, what we're suggesting here is that the Israelite state finally removed the colonizers from their land to create their own land yet again. In the end, we have to think about the fact that the Israelites do have the claim to the land, but so do the Palestinians from very different time frames. We also have to accept the fact that both people are not going to just disappear and that this is a long-term solution we need to find. So when we talk about freeing Palestine, you have to think to yourself that freeing Palestine really does mean a free state for the Jews that was once called Syria-Palestina, free from the superpowers that were colonizing the land. And when we talk about Palestinians from a historical sense, up until the 1950s, this would have been the Jewish people of the land of Israel. And only after the 1950s did the Palestinian people that we know them today claim the name Palestinians and try and hijack the cause of freeing Palestine for themselves. However, unlike the Israelite people who are trying to free themselves from the colonial powers, the Palestinian people of today who happily lived under Arab rules for generation are looking to free themselves from the people who rightfully belong in the land of Israel. One activist that I've been looking into recently is Rudy Rockman. 
He's a gentleman that is trying to create this peace between the two peoples using conversation to find common ground and realizing that these two peoples can live together in peace. But he points out the fact that this polarization between the two peoples claiming that the land belongs to them and nobody else is what's fueling the conflict. If you haven't checked out some of his work, I highly suggest checking him out on social media or on YouTube. Hopefully this episode has helped you better understand the history behind the region of Israel or Palestine and the history of colonialism in the area and who really is the colonizer in this story. As always, thank you for listening and check us out on social media at jdr.podcast. Check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time. Thank you.